I'm Vic Singh, and you're listening to Pada Bing, a podcast that rigorously examines The Sopranos, one episode at a time. Please remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening to this right now. If you love the podcast, please spread the word. Share this episode or your favorite one with one new person. That's all it takes. You can follow us on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and YouTube, at Potabing. And if you're up for it, you can support the show by visiting glow.fm slash Potabing. If you'd like to participate in the trivia series for a chance to win swag, guest on the pod, or just secure permanent bragging rights, DM at Potabing on Instagram. Finally, as always, thank you for listening and being part of this journey. Coming up is a conversation I had with Adnan Verk. Many people may know Adnan from his time at ESPN for over a decade. He's currently part of a new media venture called The Zone that's led by a former ESPN alum. And we get into that a bit. Adnan also hosts his own podcast called Cinephile. And that's how we first connected. He's a huge Sopranos fan, and he took some time away from his elaborate baseball coverage and all his other responsibilities to get into the weeds on this thing of ours. What's more, he now lives in North Jersey. How perfect is that? Excited to share this with you. Special thanks again to Adnan for being a part of this. I think you'll enjoy it. So here it is, my conversation with Adnan Verk. Adnan Verk, what a special treat. Thanks for doing the podcast. No, my pleasure, Vic. I know you're a huge Sopranos fan, so... As soon as you reached out to me with that, of course, we do the Bada Binge on my Cinephile podcast, which is, of course, on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Radio.com. So listen, man, I wish everybody was as big a Sopranos fan as you and me. That's exactly how I actually came to find out about your fanhood was through your Cinephiles podcast, which we'll talk about. Also, happy belated birthday. Oh, thank you, buddy. Appreciate it. Another year close to the grave, but we're doing all right. <laughs> <laughs> when did your fascination with the show begin? Well, what happened was I was going to school, you know, I'm Canadian, and HBO is not available in Canada. What we have is the movie network, TMN, and TMN would just pick up all of HBO's programming. So I went to Ryerson University in downtown Toronto in 96, was year one. Of course, Sopranos debuted a few years later. But after graduating in June of 2000, my boy John Madeline, one of my college roommates, who I just saw last week for our boy Cabby's wedding, another great college friend. It's nice to be able to keep in touch with all these guys, have all these memories. Sure. And John and I were, John and I were talking about the fact, remember we'd get The Sopranos, we'd watch it. So the first season airs in America, and I was an avid reader of Entertainment Weekly and all sorts of pop culture magazines. And I'm reading that, oh my God, you watch this show, you're going to lose 20 pounds. It's the greatest, the New York Times called the greatest pop culture event of the 20th century. I said, oh my God, no. Spencer, we're just out of college. I think to get TMN was like 20 bucks a month. And they already, you know, the cable, Rogers, they bleed you. It's already 100 bucks a month, whatever it was. It's opposite. I sports fans. I held the sports channels. So this was a big consideration for us. But we said, let's do it. And the first episode we saw of The Sopranos was the season finale of season two. So Fun think house. about that. Yes. That's where Tony's having the terrible Indian food. And, of course, Pussy gets killed. And I said, wow. We don't really know what's going on here, but this show is unbelievable. Like that one episode, Funhouse, introduced us to how great the Sopranos were. Now, TMN, just like HBO, would often have those specials of, you know, showing the entire show, which now, of course, everyone does, which is binge-watching. But in, in 99 and 2000, it was awfully rare. When I had my VHS tapes, and I would record the Sopranos, we'd watch it, re-watch it on tape, 
And uh, very quickly, I we fired through the first season and got caught up in the second season. And I said, this show is as good as every critic has been saying. I loved it immediately. So you were hooked from the beginning. It didn't take a while to like ease in two episodes, four episodes, six episodes. It got you hook, line, and sinker. Yeah, because, you know, I, I was such a huge Scorsese fan. And um, I was just so happy to see actors who were, of course, in Goodfellas, like Michael Imperioli or Lorraine Bracco and... I've always loved Italian-American culture and mob movies and mob fascination, so it, it really kind of was one of those wheelhouse shows for me. Um, I was almost surprised I didn't watch it right from the beginning, but again, it was just because HBO wasn't readily available, but right up my wheelhouse as far as something that I would love. A crime movie and crime genre, but done, you know, like The Honeymooners, because it's about a guy who's just trying to take care of his family and live a regular life, and of course, college was a great episode early on to show that balance between the fact he's trying to kill a mob informant and also take his daughter to college. I just love that balance that Tony has. You mentioned Scorsese, and you obviously can't believe everything you read on the internet, but I read that you actually named one of your children their middle name after Scorsese. Is that true? That's so funny you brought that up. I was going to say it, but since you asked, it is true. Yusuf Scorsese, my eldest boy. Uh, by the way, my younger guys, Shaz De Niro and Maz Pacino. So, uh, yeah, I, those guys are my superheroes, man. Like, I can't wait for the Irishman. I paid an outrageous sum of money to go to the New York Film Festival, September 27th, which will be the debut of The Irishman. And I'm not a huge Vic on these superhero movies, so when people ask which pair of superhero movie, I say, that's it. My superheroes are Scorsese and Pacino and De Niro, and obviously Keitel is in the movie, and Joe Pesci as well, who I love, so I can't wait, man. I, I've always adored those actors, and Scorsese in particular as a director. You know, when I was in high school, I said, I always want to make movies like Martin Scorsese one day, and uh, he's inspired me, and I've always loved his work, and Hopefully one day I get to meet him. I've met De Niro. De Niro's incredible. He came to ESPN. I interviewed him for 15 minutes. He's a wonderful guy. He's, um, I described him as a vuncular. You know, he felt like an uncle. He was so nice and friendly and uh, obviously advanced age now. Like he, I was asking him stories about Mean Streets, and he's kind of losing train of thought here and there. But honestly, a lot more cogent and coherent about the past. You'd think when you see De Niro in certain interviews, sometimes he seems shy or reticent. But with me, he was great. And maybe it helped because it wasn't on camera. It was just my podcast in a file. Of course, you can look up the episode if you want to listen to it. And um, I think you could tell what a big fan I was. Like, I, I was wearing a Tribeca Film Festival shirt. I had a, a postcard of Mean Streets. I had a Travis Bickle toy figurine, for God's sakes. So De Niro could really tell how much I loved him and, and loved his work with Scorsese. And I asked him about their relationship and just how they first met, you know, back in Little Italy. Even though they grew up around the same time, they were not friends as kids. It was only after De Palma introduced De Niro to Marty at a party that Scorsese said, oh, I know you. You're Bobby Milk. That was his nickname because De Niro had a pale complexion. So they used to call him Bobby Milk around the neighborhood. And so spawned one of the greatest, for me, the greatest collaboration in film history with Bob and Marty. And as for Pacino, he was always my favorite actor. I mean, the first time I saw him, I said, this guy's so electrifying on screen. I just, I, I can't get enough of those guys. Very cool. And you obviously get ultimate street cred for giving the naming rights to your kids. That's, I don't think there's many people that can say that. Well, I was about to say, it's, it's definitely the only kids that have like, you know, Muslim names like Yusuf and Shaz and Maz, and then these Italian-American middle names. I love it. But listen, there's no rules against it. These are my kids, and my wife is as big a movie fan as I am, so she loves uh, Pedro and Pacino and Scorsese as well. Very cool. I begged my wife for Anthony as a middle name, and, and she vetoed it all the way down. So, <laughs> Favorite season? Um, you know what? I, this is a tough one. I think season five is phenomenal. I went When I rewatched it again last year, and out of the 20th anniversary, that was pretty special. But I honestly think, Vic, season six, part two, 
Okay. I think they closed so strong. I thought those final nine episodes, every single episode was a home run. And um, I thought they tied up loose ends. I mean, the way that Christopher dies is heartbreaking. The finale is obviously controversial, but I think over time I appreciate how good it is. And Blue Comet, for me, the penultimate episode, might be the final Sopranos episode ever. Bobby Bacala's death, uh, Silvio getting shot. I mean, the way all the drama unfolds, I thought that was just an amazing episode. But I do love season five. Season five is very funny. And I love Buscemi and I love Robert Loja. They were great. They were, oh man, what great characters to introduce in a season when usually shows are kind of phasing out or, or like fizzling down to the wire. Exactly. That's why, you know, season four for me was the weakest season. Even when I watched it again, I said, God, I couldn't wait to get through it. I thought The Weight is a great episode, episode four about Johnny Sack and Ginny. Yes. I wasn't crazy, you know, I wasn't crazy about the first few episodes. I didn't think Pile Mine was that great. I was kind of just waiting for it to get rolling. And I just thought it was too much about Carmela trying to get the finances set up and, you know, the whole construction and the way that the Italians and the mob are dealing with the blacks and neighborhood. Like, just, I didn't think it was, there was too many tangential characters. They weren't focusing on the heart of the story enough. And yet the weight is great. And the finale is of course, incredible. Incredible. Tony, yeah. When, when they have it out like that, that's, that's one of the best episodes ever as well. So for me, I go, Oh my God, season four, they lost a little bit of juice. I believe you would know this for sure, but I think it was about a year and a half between seasons three and four. So you start to worry, hey, do they lost the mojo? For season five to come back that strong to me was really notable because it was so funny and uh, still so dramatic. Favorite episode? Um, I think it's a regular around the... No, you know what? A regular around the margin is a pretty good one. But honestly, I think that... Um, I mentioned Blue Comics, really good. I, I, I really love The Legend of Tennessee Moltisanti. Love it. Which is, of course, the first episode. And again, as a young guy who, who loved movies, who wanted to be a screenwriter, I can relate so much to Christopher because he wants to go into movies and yet he clearly doesn't have the right talent for it. I always found that so funny. And he wants to find his arc. Well, that's where he says to Paulie because, you know, you've seen Devil's Advocate. And he just goes, ow. <laughs> like, like, are you kidding? It's Pacino. Of course I've seen this two movies. Um, I did love... Uh, is it commendatory when they go to when they go to Italy yep. season two episode four is a really good one as well. But honestly, I think the best episode is long term parking. I thought Adriana's demise was so perfectly done. The level of drama, the acting from from Imperioli and Dre Di Matteo was spectacular. They they both won an Emmy Award for their performances. That whole scene where she tells him that she's been tapped by the FBI, that rage she expresses is terrifying and sad and dramatic and I think the best acting in the entire show is when Imperioli goes to fill up the car with gas yes and he sees that guy with the kids and the mullet looking so defeated and he goes you know what that ain't gonna be me no I'll take the mob life over the love of my life I'd rather have her killed than to be that schnook living a, a, a lonely miserable life the, the look on his face that whole scene is executed brilliantly yeah, there's a handful of episodes in the show where you can remember where you were when you watched it the first time, and that one is certainly one of them. Yeah, I mean, the fact that, because Adriana was a beloved character. Yo, I mean, yeah. She was I mean, she went from literally being eye candy, gorgeous girl, to being a really heartbreaking character. I mean, it was incredible to Mateo's acting that she wasn't just eye candy. She, she was so um, skillful in showing this character's tragic descent. The fact she's so in over her head, she's got no chance of getting out of this thing. And then when she starts crying and Silvio grabs her, I mean, it is, it is heartbreaking. At the risk of throwing too many baseball analogies at you, she was definitely a five-tool player. <laughs> Absolutely. Hit, run for power, all that stuff. Yeah. Favorite character not named Tony? Great question. 
Um, I love Imperioli as Christopher just because I can relate to him so much. Yeah, me too. Right, the guy's a horrible person in many ways. He's physically abusive. He's uh, obviously a drug addict. But even when they asked Imperioli, I had him on Cinefile, he was great. And he said, the one thing I really loved about Christopher that I found as a way to play the character is he's a very hard worker. You know, you can't say for Chris, he's not mailing it in. He does want to be a writer. He takes screenwriting classes. You know, he goes to, to learn the manuals and stuff. Whatever Tony tells him to do, he does it. He's very loyal. He shows up at any time. He takes all Polly's crap. He's a very hardworking guy. So at the very least, I did appreciate Chris's work ethic and the fact that he's dogged in his pursuit of what he wants. Um, and I really love the fact that when they called back the episode where he goes to Tony in the basement and told him that Adrienne is a rat, I mean, the look on his face where he's getting high again, I, I just felt so sorry for him that this guy, you think he's on his new marriage and he's going to have a baby and life is good, but he, he can't escape that past. And that, that pain is burrowed deep inside of him and it comes out once in a while. I just thought it was a really beautiful performance from a guy. Normally you see a guy like that, Vic, and you go, he's just a deadbeat drug addict, but Imperial only played him with a lot of heart. No, he humanized the guy so much. It's so accurate. What's a memorable line or scene that comes to mind um, and that maybe you use in your everyday life or on a monthly basis or something like that? Well, everything Junior says is memorable to repeat. Um, <laughs> I, I, do a, I do an NFL podcast, the GM stuff with Michael Lombardi, and Mike loves the Sopranos just like we do. And he, there's one line from Judy. He says, that guy would drown three feet of water. That's a pretty great line. Right. Um, I think there's a, I mean, there's so many others, but honestly, Junior, when, when Junior says, Tony's a sea hair away from owning Jersey, and I am that sea hair, that's uh-huh. a pretty great line. <laughs> um, <laughs> I mean, he, even the episode, another great episode is Boca. Right. Of course, where, uh, you know, Junior's getting made fun of for uh, going sushi. down with this girl. Yeah. And, and that, that whole scene where, where Tony tells him about how Junior likes muff diving, and he hit that ball in the, in the muff. Like, that that whole sequence I find hilarious. I will still use that on occasion with friends. So there's, um, honestly, anything Junior or Polly says, generally the most memorable line. 100% agree. And and Johnny Sack is right up there, too. Oh, yeah. I'm living now in North Jersey, and I took my car to the dealer, a local dealer in Ridgewood. And sure enough, on the wall is a picture of Johnny Sack. <laughs> it says, to John, this is a great garage. Vince Corotolo, of course, the actor is Johnny Sack. And immediately, I said, I'm never leaving this garage again. I asked the guy, I said, Does he come here? He's like, oh, yeah. He goes, you see Vince all the time. He shows up. And uh, I goes, he drives. He goes, I dress at Ben's. Kind of a Cadillac now. But I said, yeah, Johnny Sack's a guy. I agree with you. Early on, I thought he was fine. But he really established himself later. And like I said, that final season, that episode about him facing his own mortality was amazing. Thoughts on the movie? Oh, actually, let me rewind for a second. You touched on it a little bit. But what, are, what were your thoughts on the ending? At the time, I hated it. I thought it was a huge cop-out. I was not one of those who thought my cable went out. I knew exactly what David Chase was doing. Being a guy who loves uh, artistic films and independent cinema, I said, oh, you son of a bitch. That is such crap. This is exactly what I hate when people do this. It's open-ended. I'll leave it to interpretation. I said, that sucks. I've spent 86 hours watching this. I want an answer. I want a resolution. And uh, I was pretty mad at the time. And was one of many who thought it was uh, a really disappointing ending. Having watched it again, though, over the years, I think it's brilliant. And I think it took a lot of guts from David Chase to end it that way. And I love the fact people still talk about it, even if it's reviled. At least people talk about it. It's not like the Seinfeld finale, which was bad and was a great show, of course. But the Sopranos finale, I think at the time it was widely reviled. But I think over time people say, you know, that was pretty smart and pretty daring. I think the interpretation which I like most is that, you know, it's all from Tony's POV. So when he looks up and the, the camera cuts to black, we're the ones that get whacked. You know, yes. Chase is killing us. 
because we're the ones watching all of a sudden. We can't say anything. And, of course, there's that scene with Tony and Bacala, uh, season six, that episode one where he's talking about, you know, what's it like when you die? I'm sure it just goes to black. Even when Silvio sees the killing, you know, there's no sound at all. And then all of a sudden the volume comes in. So I think because of those clues, clearly there's an indication that death has occurred. And I think in this case it's the death of us. I think Tony's alive, but I just think that's his whole life. He's just going to be paranoid the rest of his life. Thoughts on the movie that's coming out next year? I always have trepidation, Vic. I, I, when something's so great, I always get worried when it gets revisited, you know, whether it's Star Wars or Godfather 3. I always worry I can't live up to it. But for guys like you and me, we love the show so much. You know what? I'm not going to begrudge anybody. If they want to keep doing it, keep doing it. And if you want to revisit it, go for it. Um, obviously, I'll miss Gandolfini's presence, but he was never going to be in it anyways. It's a prequel. And the fact that his son is in it apparently is fantastic. It's really good news. I do like the rest of the cast. John Burton, in particular, he was great in Scorsese's Wolf of Wall Street. He's yeah. so funny in that movie. So I'm happy to hear he's in the film. And the fact that it has Chase's imprint, and I believe Terry Winter's involved. And as long as you've got Alan Coulter, like, you know, all those guys. I mean, Coulter passed away, sorry. But I think the other guys, obviously Chase and Winter, if they, if they had their imprints on it, then I'd feel good about it. I, I think you have to temper expectations. It's just the Sopranos, as you and I know, is the greatest show of all time. This will not be the greatest movie of all time. But if it has a certain sense of the of the show and if it's got that rhythm to it, that there's some memorable exchanges, why not? Has The Sopranos ever seeped into your sports commentary, either in terms of analogies or outright references? Yeah, there was definitely times I would reference the show and use some one-liners, and I would say, you know, it, a team was as dead as Adriana after long-term parking. I, I do remember using a couple episodes like that. Even I was doing it at the score, which was in Toronto. But people would get mad because, again, they weren't watching TMN, uh-huh. i.e. HBO. So they would say, why are you giving it away? I'm not giving anything away. Why don't you, why don't you pay the 20 bucks a month and watch the show so I can do it in real time? <laughs> I remember making a reference about Vito Spatafore, and people were shocked that I actually knew Vito's name. Of course, he was the... You know, the capo ends up being gay and ends up getting murdered by the rest of that crew there, frankly, a and company. But I remember, I don't remember the exact line, but something about a team getting whacked like Vito Spadafore. Okay. Or, or meeting, meeting, meeting a more painful demise than that. And people definitely laughed because you got the reference. But a lot of people didn't know that was his last name because you didn't often hear Spadafore. It was often just Vito, poor Vito and Vito's gay and all the rest of it. But yeah, when I when I talked to Vito Spadafore, I was pretty happy with that one. It's a problem for me because I, and I asked the question because I use references throughout the course of my daily life. Even my kindergartner wanted to watch movies on a Tuesday night. My wife lets him and I said, look, we break more rules than the Catholic church here. And <laughs> so it just keeps coming out. I can't help myself. No, I love it. Eminently quotable. Uh, what shows are in the vicinity of The Sopranos for you now? What are you into right now, basically? Well, there's not many. I think Breaking Bad was awfully spectacular, and that was certainly in the mix. Uh, Barry, I think, is hysterical and also very dramatic. I mean, it's it went from a comedy in season one to, I just think, an outright drama in season two. And it's uh, expertly done and really well acted. But Bill Hader's a real genius for doing it. I like Better Call Saul, but I don't think it's nearly as good as Breaking Bad, which I don't think is nearly as good as The Sopranos. Um, I hear good things about um, a Bateman show there, but at the same time, I think that's just derivative of Breaking Bad, you know, very similar storylines and such. So I don't think anyone matches The Sopranos, man. I'd have to go, like, with all-time shows. I do love the show Oz, which is a prison drama. It came out, you know, right before The Sopranos, which is a great, great show, which I still think holds up. But as far as what's on today, man, there's really nothing that tops Tony and the crew. One of the things this pod has become notorious for is incorporating NBA references into the analysis of the show. 
You well, are a native of Toronto. What did the Raptors championship mean for you personally? Well, it was amazing, man, because not only being a native of Toronto, but I, you know, I covered the Raptors for yeah. years and I worked at the store. So I, I honestly felt so happy for the people that work there. It's one thing to say to be happy for the fans, but there's a lot of bandwagon fans and people jump up and down. I feel for like the PR guys that were there when the team stunk when they were 16 and 66, you know, all the reporters and the camera guys and the editors. And, you know, I worked for Raptors TV for a year. So I know the people that are actually involved in the production of the games and just how hard it is when your team stinks and when you don't make the playoffs. So I was so happy for Aaron LaFontaine, my old boss and uh, Sherman Hamilton, Jack Armstrong, Leo Routens, like all, all the broadcasters I worked with, like those guys are great. Matt Devlin's the voice, the rappers, great guy. I was just so happy for them, man. Like it's, it's easy to be happy for the fans and certainly the fans deserved it because for so many years, people thought Toronto was just a hockey city, but obviously they love basketball, but I was really happy for the people that I knew that had worked so hard uh, with the Raptors. Currently, you're with a new venture called DAZN. What's DAZN all about, and why should it be on our radar? Yeah, it's a streaming service based in London, but it's uh, readily available here in America and in Canada. It's an app, D-A-Z-N. You can download the app, and you pay for it. It's uh, $8.33 a month if you get the yearly subscription. If you're a boxing fan, it's a must-have because we've got Triple G and Canelo Alvarez and um, you know major heavy hitters like that. But also, what I'm doing specifically is a baseball show, which I love. Baseball is my favorite sport. And we're doing a daily whip around show. So it's many ways like what MLB tonight is, but we take you to the best games, the best highlights as they happen. Rather than watching one game, you get to watch 10 games at the same time. So I've been having a blast. Obviously, I had a wonderful experience at ESPN. I worked there nine years, and I'm really grateful for all that I had there. But honestly, the zone's really cool. It, it's one thing Vic, to be part of an established company. If we use the Sopranos analogy, it's one thing if you're a, you know, a butt man of the Sopranos crew and you're kind of working your way up. But it's another thing to start your own crew. Imagine being, you know, your own uh, mafia family and trying to contend with the big boys. So I I have really enjoyed, rather than uh, being a part of something which has been established for 35 years, being a part of something which is from the ground up. And hopefully we can make something special with the zone. And uh, early in the cases, our people are watching and listening, enjoying what we're doing. That's really cool. I love that you use the Sopranos analogy. And obviously that's from the pilot where it's good to be in something from the ground floor. And it sounds like you are. That's really awesome. Uh, quick reflection on how sports consumption, like you, you mentioned, you've been covering the Raptors early in your career, pre ESPN quick reflection on how sports consumption has evolved since you've been in the space and thoughts on what it might look like over the next three to five years. Um, it's a good question. I mean, it definitely has changed. You're right. I mean, because now it's just, it's so much streaming now and, um, so much of it is on your phone now. So it's definitely become a lot different. I don't know how exactly it's going to keep evolving, but I think what you'll see is um, less of, you know, less of, um, you know, less of conventional TV, so to speak, right? Less conventional cable and more often examples of people uh, watching on their phones, utilizing social media. And, you know, for those reasons, I think it's an exciting time to be in the sports space and to be seeing what people are doing. Well said. A couple more questions and I'll let you go. Again, thank you so much for doing this. This has been so fun. What are your thoughts on speeding up the game of baseball and or baseball reform in general? You know, I think baseball is a great game. It's, it's always been my favorite. But you always kind of want to make some changes and uh, make some adjustments. And, and certainly pace of play is a concern. And even as Joe Girardi said to me, the former Yankees manager who works with us uh, at MLB Network in the zone, said it's not the pace of play, it's the pace of action. There's not enough action in the game. And I think he's right about that. I think you too oftentimes are just seeing too many home runs and strikeouts and walks. You'd like to see more guys 
putting the ball in play. But of course, the game now is so focused on power and slugging that that's why that just isn't um, isn't where the focus is. So I think the actual games themselves. Listen, it's a it's a melodic sport, but I think anybody who says it's boring, I don't think the sport's boring. I think they're boring. So that's always my response to anybody who thinks that baseball is too slow. Melodic sport. I love that. What's a baseball storyline right now we should be paying attention to? What's top of mind for you? Well, I think that, uh, listen, the Yankees and Astros appear to be on a collision course. Right? It's going to be a lot of fun. Because both those teams are absolutely loaded. The Yankees offense and the Astros pitching, I think it's going to be a tight matchup. I cannot wait to see it. And I also think that in terms of just intrigue, what's happened in the National League wildcard, you got four teams battling for two spots right now. I have no idea how it's going to go down. I think it's Nationals and Cardinals and the Cubs in the division, but it's changing every day. And that's the best part of baseball is that you sell it's a long season. I'll wake me up when it ends. No, there's always something happening. There's always something changing. So I think that whole National League wildcard race is really going to be amazing down to the wire. Finally, you also host a podcast devoted to your love of film. Name your four favorite all-time films, your Mount Rushmore, if you will. Yeah, well, again, it's Oscar says De Niro and Pacino, of course. So Raging Bull, which I think is the greatest film of all time. You know, you take a character who's so brutal and bloody, you make him sympathetic in the case of Jake LaMotta. It's the greatest performance ever from De Niro, in which he transformed his body and showed that a guy who you think is despicable and self-destructive actually has some humanity within him and that there's a point of redemption. Taxi Driver is the film that I, when I was in college, I watched it at least once a week. I related to it so much. It's such a movie for, for a young man, particularly a young angry man who living in a city and feeling that uh, urban alienation and loneliness. I love that film. I love Goodfellas. That's the movie I've probably seen the most. I've probably seen Goodfellas at least 25, 30 times. Sure. It's uh, so rewatchable. It's so funny. I think it's a great dark comedy. I always tell people that. It's not a, it's not a mob movie. It's actually a comedy. It's a really funny movie, and it's got, again, Scorsese's just at the peak of his powers. And then I would go with The Godfather. I just think that's, you know, heavyweight champion as far as great movies of all time. The scene with Brando and Pacino alone outside. I mean, you're looking at the passing of the torch to the great actors of all time. Coppola and the sense of the music and the whole epic sweep of it. That's a pretty strong four for me. Adnan, this was a lot of fun. I'm a big fan and wish you continued success. Thank you. Vic, you're a good man. I Listen, really good questions, by the way. Having worked at ESPN, I can tell you this. The <laughs> biggest mistake, no, no, seriously, the biggest mistake interviewers make is they talk too much. And what they used to tell us, you'll, you'll appreciate this. There's a real hand guy. They said open, lean, neutral. O-L-N. Every question should be open, lean, neutral. Every single question you asked me was a who, what, when, where, why, how. They were all lean. You literally just said, what are your favorite episodes of Sopranos? You didn't say, hey, I love this episode, or I think Funhouse has this. And neutral. Neutral is probably the most important, which means there's no bias. You didn't say in your question, hey, aside from Tony, who's so great, and God, Carmella's really good. And I know Chris, who's your favorite character? There's no bias. You just aside from Tony, who's your favorite? So really good stuff, Vic. I love it. Are you familiar, before I let you go, are you familiar with Robert Caro, the biographer? He wrote the volumes on LBJ. I'm not familiar, no. So he's a very famous biographer, and he wrote a memoir, the number one advice he has to give to interviewers when you're interviewing somebody. He summed it up in two words, and the two words were shut up. <laughs> well, it's true, man, because I think the other part of it, too, is you have to be curious. And you clearly either are or pretended to very well, but you have to be interested in what your subject is saying. And uh, I think shut up is good. And I think be curious is a good one too. I'm a big fan of yours. And I'm really glad that we're kindred spirits with respect to the show. And I am very appreciative of your time. Thank you. Of course. I appreciate it, brother. You take care. 